Okay. Welcome to another podcast with the Crypto Science Society. I'm your host and president, Jason Cordova. <laughs> to my left is the lovely and sexy voice <laughs> uh, having Janae Conrad. Hello, and you're full of shit. <laughs> um, we were just talking about how it's kind of interesting how the voice you hear inside your own head is very different from what other people hear. Yes, this has been a uh, kind of a tragedy throughout. I, I remember the first time I realized that, like my <laughs> voice didn't sound the same way that uh, that it sounded to other people that it sounds like to me. Yeah, it was a pretty big, eh, an interesting, an interesting revelation. I think I was five, actually, maybe even younger, because I used to. My mom gave me this, uh, like I had this old school like tape recorder with a little handle and slide and then you could just play back on the tape right away and i'd like had my own radio show on there so uh, i sang i sang and i i talked i told stories <laughs> i actually have the tapes around we can uh maybe 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 one day uh, maybe if we if we get big enough where we have some bonus content oh, where we can like that's a scary thought. Yeah, I think the first time I realized I was actually in college, and then I, had, I was so sad because <laughs> I sound like my sister. Hmm. That's. I thought like my sister has a good voice. Sister's not so bad. I know. Can we edit that out? I hope so. <laughs> I'll do what I can. Thank you. No promises. Okay. Anyway, so why are we here today, Jason? Why are we here? We are in the basement, like good proper paranormal investigators should recording our podcast for the crypto science society uh we are uh we're going to be talking about uh an investigation into the possibility of extraterrestrial origin of ufos so for all of our listeners what does that mean what does that mean is so jumping right into it you know a lot of a lot of very nuts and bolts sciencey minded kind of folks uh, like to introduce the topic of UFOs from the perspective of very uh, credible, convincing scientific evidence, not and being objective. Not that not that we're not that mind mindset or not of that mindset, but the a lot of folks are hesitant to dip their toes in to the the water of that like. Let's just call it like we see it, you know. Call it, call it like it is. When most people hear UFOs, um, dun, 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 dun. they're thinking the they're thinking aliens, and um, it doesn't need to be. I don't feel like it necessarily needs to be um, such a faux pas, uh, and that we can address the extraterrestrial hypothesis in a scientific manner. And uh, in a credible, in a credible way. So, so that's why we're here. Um, some. Uh, so we're definitely connecting the idea of the UFO origins with extraterrestrials. Yes. Okay. Because uh, in that way, that I won't start wandering into you know like technology that we weren't aware of. You know that we saw. Like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, um, oh, the theory that a lot of UFOs were just like military craft. Right, right. That Which, just wasn't in 
circulation yet. Right, like Black Project kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is actually completely a. Um, it, it is a very relevant um, potential explanation for many of them. Honestly, personally, I feel like most of them are fall into that category. Either, um, either a misidentified natural phenomena or something something mundane explainable um and then uh there's there's been a lot of reports and studies that kind of estimate maybe uh 10 percent or even more conservatively maybe five percent of all reported ufos are unexplainable right. and then from there out of that unexplainable realm there's probably a good portion of those that are you know um unknown black projects, high technology kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> but that um, doesn't discount the rest. True. Well, it's <clears throat> kind of interesting too because it makes my, <clears throat> since I just finally finished on Keel's like Muffin Prophecies, that idea of like craft that looked normal but then behaved oddly. Oh, yeah. So I think that's something that would be interesting to kind of dive into a little bit as well. Absolutely. Well, some listeners gave us some feedback after the first episode, which is pretty great. We've, uh, I love that collaborative back and forth. We told you it was our first, so we're going to suck at it. <clears throat> but also, we had some very positive, very positive uh, stuff that was said about it. So um, thank you to all of those who, who uh, paid a listen and, and gave us your feedback. So we have addressed... Hopefully, we've addressed the sound issues. You can hear us loud and clear. Yeah, and if we're too loud, thankfully, you can just turn us down. It's easier to turn us down than to turn us down. Right, up. right. <laughs> Especially if you're, you know, in a, in a noisy coffee shop or, right. or driving to work and all that brand new uh, Colorado traffic. Oh, God. <laughs> it took me like an hour and 15 minutes to make it like 10 miles. Mm-hmm. But you're here now. Bam. Okay. So should we start with just kind of like the current events and kind of what's happening? Yeah. Let's let's dive right into it. Um, number one, first on the list, we've got um, actually some kind of exciting, an exciting new movie uh, that's out, uh, made by our friend. Is it a movie or a documentary? It is. It's a documentary. Right. It's, 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 a, a it's, it's a documentary. Well, we saw Hunt for the Skinwalker. Mm -hmm. It's the same guy that made uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker, Jeremy oh, Corbell. And uh, this one, it just premiered. It's about the um, Bob Lazar and the genesis of Area the 51. Area 51 and that whole mythos. Right? It's in the early 90s. This guy, Bob Lazar, came on the scene saying that he, he worked at Area 51 back engineering UFOs for the U.S. government. Um, George Knapp was a um, uh, was the journalist who broke the story, and he spent he worked really hard with Bob to try to get um, encourage him to share his story and go a little more public. And <clears throat> over the years, it's been you know more than twenty years, and he's stuck true to his story. And he's a pretty humble guy. He's pretty kind of avoided a lot of the limelight. It's very hard to get an interview with him. And um, Jeremy Corbell managed to pin him down and oh, get 
a real updated interview for him. And um, from from the reviews, you know, my cousin with uh, Alejandro Rojas at Open Minds Radio uh, interviewed Jeremy. And they also had uh, Bob Lazar at the UFO Congress a couple of years ago. And they did interview. Uh, they did they did do an interview with Bob, um, but they they went easy on him. You know, they it was it was tactical. You know, want to bring him out, show him off to all the UFOers. You know, you don't want to scare him. Yeah. Right. Don't want to scare him away. So this venue, he's comfortable in in a room with one guy, and that's where he asked him the hard questions. So. Well, no, I think, and it's interesting too because I think any conversation about the origin of UFOs really has to start with Roswell. And Area 51 and kind of all the little things that happened and then kind of how throughout time it became like a bigger deal. Like certain people popped up Mm -hmm. and, you know, brought light or brought attention to it. And now we have like so much, even even of our fiction and our story making um, is based around Roswell. Like, you, you know, your Men in Black, which we should talk about the movie Men in Black <laughs> one day yeah, yeah. as a separate aside. Oh, man. Um, yeah, we've got a whole... Yeah, a whole episode on that coming, um, which I thought was like, hmm, that movie's kind of brilliant. Um, and it's a comedy. Um, but in <laughs> Wait, wait, it's not a documentary? Right, exactly. <laughs> Right. It was. You know? It was actually very, very well done. Very fun, and it brought it brought the idea into. Yeah. Whereas before it was like, before the movie, like, uh, let's see. I think the only Men in Black reference I could think of in pop culture was the X Files, mm-hmm. in that my favorite of all episode, Jose Jones from Outer Space, which Alex Trebek and. Uh, oh, yeah. Jesse Ventura play Men in Black. Oh, yeah, that's right. Totally forgot about that. Freaking awesome. Totally different take <laughs> on the idea. Um, but, yeah, so just kind of uh, – it's just such a formidable point of our history and if it um, in terms of, like, the science and the paranormal of it, but also the myth-making and the story creation that, it, that evolved from it. And it's always really fascinating. You really see that it's, like, one person that really kind of started that conversation – and that's really intriguing. And then also kind of how it allowed a lot of people to kind of have a platform to like talk about the really interesting experiences or sightings with um, objects that they couldn't identify. That's true. Yep. So if you are interested in learning more about the Bob Lazar story, which ties right into this whole the idea of extraterrestrial uh, origin of UFOs, his whole story is that basically this this um he was responsible for working on back engineering uh technology that was salvaged from a downed alien spacecraft that is the fundamental core of his claim and it's it's you know he's got a lot of a lot of supporters and a lot of detractors and you know we refined judgment i haven't seen the movie yet uh i'm really excited to see it but um i'm 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 leaning towards, well, as my cousin says, Bob Lazar is firmly in his gray basket. <laughs> as as a as a good 
as any good objective investigator should. Right. Yeah. And as any good investigators, who are the who are some of the best investigators that you can even think of? Oh, I don't know, Jason NASA. NASA, <laughs> NASA's they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and we have a good. window. We have a window up with like uh, a title that says, "Has super intelligent aliens already visited Earth?" NASA scientists warn that extremely tiny visitors could have been too small for us to spot. Which is kind of funny. That's right. A it's NASA cool. scientist. Named Silvano P. Colombano has called for speculative physics. Open. Hold on. Silvano P. has called for speculative physics open to alien existence. Academics, academics want fundamental change in how humans imagine extraterrestrials. And they say that everything from their lifespan to their size would be incomprehensible to us. And he argues that any likely visitors could be extremely tiny and easily missed. Well, and that's, I think that's a really interesting thing to consider in general because us humans are very good at anthropomorphizing everything outside of us. And so if there is an alien intelligent life forms, they have to somehow be humanoid looking. Right. Um, or have to have corporeal form of some sort. Or and, and so it's kind of really interesting to then kind of take your mind into – like, I thought maybe, oh, they mean, like, microbes on, right. like, annihilation. That's, like, an alien life form. That's mm -hmm. just sort of like a virus, vi well, in my opinion, is a virus that lands on Earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Um, you know, and then... Wait, the, what's annihilation? Annihilation is an amazing movie um, with, oh, my God, I forgot her name. She was in Black Swan, played Padme, Natalie Portman. So it's Natalie Portman. Her husband goes on this super secret mission, comes back really weird. She's this biologist. And, goes well, and the whole thing was they sent the team because they were supposed to be like women. Yeah. All the other teams went were men and they're like, well, none of them came back. Maybe <laughs> maybe the women can handle it. Yeah. yeah. And so it was really, really fascinating. And it's just kind of um, – but just from like is it any it's, – because it's kind of one of those stories you don't really know what's going on. Um, in some ways, is it like a psychological psychological exploration? But to me, it always kind of it was like some sort of small, you know, like this object from space lands. And it's like, wouldn't that be an interesting way of taking over the world? Is like as a virus, right? Or as like a microscopic organism mm -hmm. that well, just kind of spreads or changes or evolves or adapts things. Right. Right, which is a it's an and it's an excellent point, and I think that does kind of play into this too. Like it's it's presenting an idea of an alien intelligence that is different than what we typically assume them to be. Right, they're not the usual Hollywood monster kind of alien. This is kind of a they they adapt, they mimic, and mm -hmm. they you know and they blend in. Yeah, or just like chameleons are like. Or thinking of them at, you know, like very small, microscopic, like it could still be very much intelligent and aware and, and functioning. They just look completely different. Right. And it opens up the conversation of the whole idea, like to avoid anthropomorphizing, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, even look back to the, the immediate one jumps to my mind is like in 2010, 2001. A uh, space odyssey. Mm -hmm. That story was the idea that the monolith is 
some kind of alien intelligence or at least an, an, an interaction with an alien intelligence. And so um, what they were doing there, and this was, you know, I think Carl Sagan had a, had a part in it. Um, I know Arthur C. Clarke, obviously, he wrote the book. This, the, the intention was to get people thinking more along the lines of, like, aliens probably are not going to be what we expect them to be. Yeah, or, like, in, like, thinking of the movie Contact. Mm, Contact's you know, another good one. Like, um, just sort of, like, I'm, get, I'm in the form of what your brain can handle. Right. Um, and then I thought, and I thought that, and I was like, the, my, I love that movie because it's, like, the most inspiring moment, I think, in a lot of cinema that never gets enough credit. Like that moment of like you took one tiny step into mm -hmm. exploring the weird, mm. and because you did that, someone else will take the next step. And so this idea of that unraveling mysteries might take lifetimes and hundreds and thousands of years for us to truly comprehend as a society. Right. And so I think like you know UFO and those origins of them finding really strange shapes in the sky is just one tiny puzzle piece, like one tiny sort of interesting phenomenon in like a sea of many. Right. And that is a perfect segue into our next <clears throat> article uh, by Lou Elizondo with To The Stars Academy. Um, this one's a little bit old. It's about a month or so out. Uh, and... Um, well, why don't you explain what To the Stars Academy is first? Yeah, so To the Stars Academy, uh, that's, let's that's see. So cool history. So long story short, um, Tom DeLong, eccentric, eccentric money guy. Who to, was? Who was the, he was a guitarist and singer for the band Blink-182. His longtime uh, interest in UFOs, and he, after the band, there's there's rumors that the band actually broke up. Partially because of his, in, like, he was so obsessed with UFOs. Uh, I think those claims are a little bit inflated. Like, everybody knows, like, yeah, he was into it, but the creative differences were more more of a factor. And then so on and so forth. Um, he, he had a couple other side projects, um, but his latest big thing is this To the Stars Academy, where basically he's, he's used his, he's using his money and influence to uh, get the get the attention and actually get the ear of um, high-ranking politicians um, in order to start having those conversations. Um, he actually was given the Investigator of the Year Award by the International UFO Congress, I think, uh, last year, was it? Because um, he's the one that did it. And a lot of the UFOers are, were really mad because... You know, who's this This rock star comes out of nowhere. Star, yeah. yeah, who's this kid think he is? <laughs> and, and you know. Well, and that's kind of like, but who else, too? Because, I mean, there's such an interesting thread of, like, paranormal. Right. And musicians. There's, like, this interesting um, tie-in just within, like, conspiracy theories and kind of what a lot of people say about them. But then also, too, like, certain sort of genres and music sort of lends itself mm -hmm. to being, like, the backdrop of the paranormal. Mm -hmm. right. And so it's just kind of really interesting that, you know, some of the biggest people who influence the trajectory of our society are musicians. Right. Right. They're the cool kids. Yeah. Right. So not only, not only is this, is Tom DeLong, the guy who managed to get this information and, 
Um, and by information, what I mean is specifically he had um, he had some meetings with um, uh, the only name that jumps immediately to mind is John Podesta. So he was a campaign manager for Hillary. Um, and he's been he's actually been in politics for a long time, um, working in and out of the kind of the, the, the system in that regard. Um, but with to the Stars Academy, so long story short, um, in all of this, all of these dealings, he's gotten to um, collect. He founded this organization called To the Stars Academy. Which is intended. That's just actually that's their mission statement uh, on their website is basically um, to create a, um, a public interest in the outer edges of science and the understanding of phenomena has always been suffocated by mainstream ideology and bureaucratic constant. We believe. There are transformative discoveries within our reach that will revolutionize the human experience, but they can only be accomplished through unrestricted support of breakthrough research, discovery, and innovation. To the Stars Academy of the Arts and Science has mobilized a team of most experienced, connected, and passionately curious minds from the U.S. intelligence community, including the CIA and the Department of Defense, that have been operating under the shadows of top secrecy for decades. The team members all share a common thread of frustration and determination to disrupt the status quo, wanting to use their expertise and credibility to bring transformative science and engineering out of the shadows and collaborative and collaborate with global citizens to apply that knowledge in a way that benefits humanity. They are FMR Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, FMR Senior Intelligence Officer of the CIA, former, that's what this means, FMR, <laughs> former Advanced Systems Director for Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works, former Director of Programs to Investigate Unidentified Aerial Threats, Group of Distinguished Physicists, Geneticists, molecular biologists, award-winning, and award-winning storytellers. Um, so that's basically, in a nutshell, what they're up to. Um, they're so really, they've got a wealth of information. They've got a whole bunch of things going on. Um, they've got all these uh, big-minded people that are coming together uh, to try to do it. Like, why not? You know, like if. Do I have like groups? Yeah, we can't edit. Sorry, <laughs> I just so you know on, on the on the audio why I said gross is that I apparently had something gross on my nose. And is something dripping? I don't think anything's dripping. I think it's just I'm cold. And my nose dripped, so that's why I said gross. Weird. All so, right. Okay. Strange phenomenon. The walls, you know, if the walls bleed, you know, I wouldn't really be surprised. Well, the cat's trying to get in. The cat is trying to get in. She feels very, very alone. She is a part of this podcast. Uh, she's the archmage. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of cool. Like, I think what's really interesting, too, is that, you know, if people have so many questions or ideas, like, why not go and search for it? Why not do it with, like, you know, the scientific method in mind? Mm -hmm. You know, bring 
that that creative sort of energy together. Because it's like if I had money, what would I do with it? You know. Right. <laughs> what would I do with money? I would buy all of the Beatles Sgt. Pepper uniforms and <laughs> use them as a house coat. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk you about. You think like, I'm kidding? <laughs> I don't think you're kidding. But I thought you were going to go a little bit more practical with your like nefarious ideas for the paranormal. Um. That comes next. That comes next. First, Sergeant Pepper uniforms. First, Sergeant Pepper uniforms. Okay. <laughs> what would you do? What would I do? You know, I would probably like I'd be practical. Unfortunately, first, and get out of debt, save some money. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what outlandish, weird thing would I get? Um, I don't know. I bribe the Vatican for all their material. Mm. So you want? Or, you think? You think you've got enough money to bribe the Vatican? No, probably not. But like, <laughs> I haven't, because I've watched this really interesting documentary about how a lot of, like, artifacts get stolen from the Middle East because of conflict and war and stuff, and how, like, London is this really huge hub of, like, black market artifacts. Mm. It's really depressing. So, I, you know, part of me would be, like, a black market hustler for a little bit. Mm. <laughs> because, um, and, like, re-patriate. Uh, re right, like... Be the be that like field Swoop agent. In. Be like, oh yeah, Indiana Jones reverse style. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, I'll I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Because I think that there's a lot in that. Like, some tangent for another episode, though. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of really cool, interesting archaeological information that's just sitting in vaults of like rich people. Yeah, I know. So, because like you know, like or just like on their mantle, right? Or, like, like Iraqi like magic bowls. Oh you know, that yeah. they, a lot of people stolen like actual tablets of like oh really ancient yeah. material you know so i think um i think after kind of getting out of, i would probably just be a reverse indiana jones that would be pretty awesome so i'll i'll join you on that actually yeah let's pull our resources together because actually the, the the looting of the baghdad museum is out of everything all of the tragedies of the iraq war that is i mean that's that's high on the list yeah i mean well, and just kind of, and because of how lucrative it is, you know, how many, you know, especially it triggered a lot of people to start digging and, mm -hmm. you know, so there's just a lot of really intriguing information that I think would clarify a lot of interesting civilization-y stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it would just be fascinating. I think it would get, there's just so much information that just got looted. And, you know, hit it. or even in the, like, the London Museum, there is so much information and, and artifacts that are just in a dark catacomb somewhere. Right. That's never even been, like, cataloged or looked at. Yeah. Or maybe I'm wrong. You can, like, correct me. But, I'm pretty, like, there's a lot of stuff that just hasn't been there's shown. There's a lot of stuff out there that's not been given its proper due. Right. Okay. Or study. And for whatever reason, right? Like Pueblo mummies in a in a roadside yeah. shop. Yeah. That get suddenly scooped up and then mistaken for alien bodies. <laughs> and yeah. That's a that's an episode on its own too. That's very true. So let's dive into it, shall we? Yep. All right. So, uh, and I credit um, if anybody wants uh, to go back and uh, reference our stuff for for this podcast today. We've got stuff up on our blog, the Crypto Science Society Journal. If you go to our website, 
CryptoScienceSociety.com. Go to the journal tab. You can find all this good stuff here and the contact for future episodes. And um, so this one, this was one of our early earliest uh, journal entries, and it was submitted by uh, my good friend, uh, Dion Ernst. I knew her as Dion Langley back in middle school. And I met her. I don't. I don't know that you didn't. You might have. You might have. Uh, she's cool. I tried to get a hold of her for the podcast. Maybe maybe we'll have her on if cool. she if she's available. But cool, oh cool lady. Actually, we connected with yeah. So the the reason that we connected back in middle school was because of the book communion. Hmm. Like we were both reading communion, and it was like, oh, you're weird. I'm weird. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> Let's talk be weird about together. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It is, yeah. Again, add it to the list. Add it to the list. Add it to the list. Let's go back to our tangent. (laughs) Yes. Um. We we are actually on on topic. topic. We are on topic. Mysterious stuff. Um. Well, in terms of like, especially the origins of like flying, flying UFOs. Anyone out there familiar with Carl Jung? Yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> Carl Gustav Jung. 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 Um, Jung. Yeah, I know. I'm a bad American with my accents. Uh, he was always my favorite out of the two. But one of his Out of the two? Out of There's the two. only two. Um, There's only two. <laughs> fathers of psychology. I don't know. It's kind of like... It's so a wait a minute, wait a minute. There's two fathers... <laughs> I thought... Penis envy. <laughs> <laughs> um... No, I'm sorry. It's I'm not sorry. Um, I find it fascinating. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. I find it fascinating, like in terms of like psychology camps or kind of where things kind of broke off in many ways. And there's more than that. But you, but the you know Jung and um, Freud. Freud. Thank you. I can't believe I was like blanking on his name. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? That. Um, you know. I feel like Freud's full of shit. <laughs> and I feel like you either are in one of those camps. Like you're either, your psychology, not, well, not, I'm creating a false dichotomy here. Um, Cause there's way more than that. And a lot more has evolved from there. But like, there's like, you're either the Freud camp or you're the young, young, I'm going to be so conscious of that now. You're um, Carl, the Carl camp um, in, in many ways. So you either are kind of really interested into the archetypes global consciousness, how, like, myth is made, or it's all about, like, everything's phallic, and we're just a bunch of penis-envying societal people. It's all about... It's all, it's just, all about the... Or, like, a phallocentric... Um, phallocentric. Yeah, it's a new word I found. I'm, like, reading this really cool mm. book about archaeology. Um, and so... And so one of the things... Sorry to be so crass, people. Yeah, sorry. I, archaeology, I, I know it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to archaeologists. We love archaeologists. We love archaeologists. Um, but like kind of going back, what I found what's really fascinating about his work is that towards the end of his life, really got interested in UFOs and the UFO phenomenon and extraterrestrials. And, you know, and he was kind of going from like two different camps. At first, it was kind of this idea of like this, this global mythology that we were creating to kind of explore some sort of some sort of like collective psychological thing. Um, but towards the end of his life, too, he started like it became more of like a tangible thing for him of just being like, huh, I wonder what this this is all about. 
Uh-huh. And I think, and it, cause there does seem to be a time period where we kind of move from, you know, like the age of like the Victorian age and kind of really kind of interacting with the occult and ghosts and that kind of paranormal stuff to like spiritualism, spiritualism to moving into more seances. technological, technological. Right now we're doing paranormal investigations. Everybody's got your equipment. Yeah. Like what kind of what kind of equipment you got? <laughs> okay, got my got my K twos and my. <laughs> and just sort of kind of like how it started to really shift, and how we're kind of even seeing like the merging of like the occult and the UFO origin kind of like coming together to coalesce a little bit. So it's just like really fascinating to kind of see that like pop up through time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, it really is, is because technology was different. You know, we started seeing more weird stuff because, you know, we were creating flying machines. Right. And we were creating, um, you know, the Lindenberg and, you know, the Wright brothers, Creating the airplane, <laughs> right, and right. helicopters. So this idea of like manifestation, right, and that the phenomenon maybe, and this is kind of this is what Jung was touching on because mm-hmm. I I have this book upstairs. Yeah. I have the UFO Jung's on UFOs. Um, it, this idea that this so archetypal kind of thing. It's not. It's it's that a psycho again this psycho interactive phenomenon. Mm-hmm. If this is indeed something else something outside of our own minds that also plays into the mothman prophecies thing too is this idea of a psycho reactive phenomenon is whatever this is whatever this intelligence is it's manifesting in a way that we are going to interpret it or, or we're going to understand it right or is it it's just doing whatever it does and we interpret it how it how we are however we evolved through time. however we've evolved through time because you know you take so Betty and Barney Hill um, abduction scenario if you strip that down and for those of you who aren't familiar Betty and Barney Hill were uh, a um, couple in the 50s 19 oh shoot 60s Mid sixties. I'm gonna get eaten alive on the year. I don't remember the exact date. Oh, don't um, worry about it. Basically, all that stuff happened in the sixties, right? <laughs> yeah, it was in the sixties. So they were driving home, and um, they they were missing some time. They allegedly got taken up by a UFO, uh, interacted with some beings, and sent back on their way. And they had, you know, they had the the after effects of it. They had the PTSD. They did hypnotic regressions. And they had all burning eye stuff. Burning eye stuff. That everything. So here's what. Uh, but if you take that same scenario and like, I don't know, put it back to you know a farmer in Europe in the early 15th century or something, right? And all of they're walking through the woods and they see these fairy lights come down and then they're taken to this magical fairy realm where they're interacting with tiny beings with big eyes and and then they're in this otherworldly place and then they're gone longer than they thought they were and then sent back on their way and nobody believes them maybe their clothes are on backwards or they're in a different way but this idea that like 
were you abducted by fairies or was it aliens? Right. right kind of depends on what time period. What time period right? you well, are in the culture. Say, and it's interesting too because you make, you make well, a lot of people can make the argument well, it's always just aliens. But like, what if it's not? Right. Like, like what, what if, if it's something else altogether? That's what, what we think they are now. Yeah, we think that's what they are now because that's kind of what. That's how we can conceptualize it because of how we've constructed our society now. Um, you know, and like, and does it matter? Right. Does it matter? It doesn't matter. Like if what was, what was angels and God at one point is fairies mm-hmm. is now aliens. Does it, does that, is that what matters? Is that what we care about? Um, what I think is more like really interesting is that something weird is happening. Right. Uh, and we might not know what it is, but it seems to kind of pop up through time. Right. Um, and so if we really look at it, like our myths and kind of how our myths are constructed and sort of that information that's in, in them. Right. Cause then kind of like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the why? Right. <laughs> behind it all. Well, the, the why, what, why do we think this is happening? I mean, you could arguably, you could even say that, you know, angelic lore is extraterrestrial, mm-hmm. right? Because they're, they're not, they're not human. And they're not from this world, right? Or, but what if they are just in a different, mm-hmm. in a different pocket? A different pocket. What does it mean to be an extraterrestrial, even? Right. Well, <laughs> let's define it. Extra, someone who's not from Earth. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but that actually that that is a good to loop back to the to the Stars Academy stuff. Now, I wanted to mention about Lou Elizondo, um, who he is and why he's important. Basically, he was the director of the program ATIP. It was the Advanced Aerial Phenomenon Threat Protection Program within the Department of Defense. He used he used his position to access government funds to analyze potential uh, analyze UFOs as they applied to the potential threat for U.S. military action in in flying around in, <laughs> in airspace. <laughs> um, and he, uh, in interviews and stuff he's written about, <clears throat> he claims that as far as he understands, as far as they have been able to determine, is that one, there are no known technologies on this planet that have created them. Okay, and then we go harken back to that, you know, the the ninety, the ninety-five or so percent of easily I, misidentified kind of objects. Yeah. These are the the really juicy ones. The ones right. that we all want to get our hands on. The ones we want to get our hands on. Um, if you've looked up the, the Tic Tac UFO um, <laughs> video where uh, uh, the USS, was it the Truman? Oh, I can't remember now. It was one of the aircraft carrier mm-hmm. um, had their, their air group was able to, uh, they got on video that the, the fighters interacted with this object that was nicknamed the Tic Tac UFO because it looks like a Tic Tac flying around. And they <laughs> the cigar, the sausage thing that always pops up throughout time. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and that's kind of interesting too. It's like you have, or cigar, sorry, I meant cigar. 
um, certain sort of commonalities and patterns throughout time. Alice and Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Alice. Um, yeah, and so kind of like even because like Jim, one of the pers- persons in our group, um, did a, a recent article about Bigfoot, and one of the things that he said that I thought was really fascinating was this idea of what's intriguing is the totality of the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of kind of how we rationalize it away. And so I think that's what's really fascinating is that even that 5% or that small number of stuff is that we have enough collection of data mm-hmm. to be like, huh, this is interesting. Right. Um, you know, especially just like certain shapes mm-hmm. that certain spacecraft come into. Right. So, you know, uh, like the triangle, the cigar, mm-hmm. there does seem to be some commonalities. Right. And these are, yeah, and these are, these are commonly seen throughout history, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's, there's a lot of historical accounts. Um, so the, so that other aspect though of Elizondo's, um, claim is that through this work, not only were they confident that they're not, that these technologies are not produced by any known technology here on earth. Mm -hmm. But that he speculates even that it could be extra dimensional. Right. And taking that's it that step further. And that's what this article that he had written on the blog with To the Stars Academy was that I guess the core of what he's trying to say is what we know and what we believe are not always the same thing. And then he goes on to explain how our perception of fact influences our worldview. And this is very important when it comes to the discussion on this topic as far as, you know, all of this tying in together, right? Yeah, or like how different phenomena interact with each other. Right. How when you have a UFO, you also have other things that pop up. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess Mouth Man is the next thing we should probably do. <laughs> Possibly. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure in our last episode we talked about psychoactive phenomenon as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's really interesting. So just kind of thinking not just extraterrestrial, but interdimensionally. Mm-hmm. And again, that is probably a product because that's he's certainly not the first person to propose that as a possibility. Right. right? But like, I think with like our jump in a lot of scientific thought in mm-hmm. terms of like quantum mechanics and physics, gravitational, um, the CERN mm-hmm. collider, the idea of being able to unravel reality as we know it is now definitely a part of the fabric of, um, our realities. Right. And so like the, so now we're thinking, you know, less, you know, interstellar, and mm-hmm. more interdimensional. Right. Right. And are those two things kind of related sometimes? Or even interplanetary. Or interplanetary. Because yeah. I was just thinking back, you know, in the 50s, like in the, with the George Adamski uh, days. Right. And he, he was claiming he's talking to people from Venus. Yeah. And, you know, there's. It's like as our consciousness expands in terms of what's our reality mm-hmm. in space time, the further and further and further away our theories and perceptions become too. Right. And then almost in on itself as well. So it's kind of the whole idea of cells, planets, same thing. Uh huh. So kind of, you know, maybe that's why I like men in black too. The whole marble image. Yeah. Aliens playing with these marbles of, of galaxies and kind of sometimes I always think about like, what if 
there's like some microbial organism it's mm-hmm. kind of like a galaxy it's got a bunch of aliens living on it <laughs> right right now i kind of think that too you ever you know how people come up to like <laughs> every day at work like how are you doing well living the dream <laughs> like oh really whose dream is it and then they <laughs> stop and they're just like they have their existential moment <laughs> We're like, all right, off to work. <laughs> yeah, that whole like rush song, like, is a butterfly dreaming of you, or are you dreaming of the butterfly? That's right. Mm. Um, which is always a cool, it's just interesting thought to talk about, especially in terms of like UFOs and, and where they come from. Right. Do they come from our brains? Do they come from space? Mm-hmm. Do they come from a pocket of reality? Do they come from underneath the sea? Are they from Mars? There's like all these intense, infinite possibilities. That's right. Yeah. Um, so we, so in Dion's uh, report, she um, she noted uh, Dr. Frank Drake and his famous Drake equation, which basically postulates the possibility of alien life um, or complex, intelligent alien life throughout our galaxy. A lot of people are taking some stabs at it. She, she, I'm not sure where she came up with the number here for over 10,000 in the Milky Way galaxy alone, because there are, there's, there's a lot of variables that don't actually have numbers to be put in them. Right. Um, Ultimately it's a speculative exercise. Now that we know there are thousands of the probability alone. uh, Well, there are, so, only about 10 years ago, was it? No, uh, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we only knew for certain that there were nine planets in our solar system. At the time, Pluto being classified as a planet, mm-hmm. now opened up to recognizing the virtual array of dwarf planets in the solar system that Pluto fits into the category of. So back to eight planets in our solar system, now in the 90s, then we start finding finding extrasolar planets with a ver- variety of different methods. Now we're up to more than 2,000, more than 2,000 verified, Bodies. confirmed planets, not in our solar system. I'm talking actual planets orbiting <laughs> other stars. I got lost for a <clears throat> Other planets and like yeah. The our own solar system that's that's its own that's thing. One thing yeah. But now we have we know for certain that there are more than two thousand planets orbiting other stars, and there's more coming in every day. Right. Whereas scientists are speculating that is they're probably more likely that a star has at least one planet than it doesn't have any planets at all. And out of those, then you start adding new variables. It's really like Star Trek. Whether or not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whether or not how many how many of those planets are actually habitable in the through the lens of what we think habitable or, means you know and then we could think about like terraforming mm-hmm. and the possibility of that technology so uh, you're I saying like that far far away though so like planets that we say might not necessarily be in, be habitable but could one day be right like, I mean, our moon or, can be habitable. Or, yes, it's our moon habitable. can be habitable. It's not habitable to life as we know, we know it, it right. right now. Right. right? 
like us, mm-hmm. right? But there might be big we, groups. We need we need a suit to go onto the moon and walk around. Right. Right. Yeah, there might be microbes there living. We know there's a little bit of water hanging around. Um, maybe they're hanging out in the water. Maybe they're dormant in sand. You know, stuff like that. But <clears throat> we, as we know it, we we just don't know for certain that life in the way that we know life to be can exist there. So, but you brought up a really awesome point there because say we've got, if there's a civilization that is sufficiently advanced, say even maybe even maybe a hundred, hundred to 200 years beyond where we are now, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe not even necessarily beyond, you know, maybe they're a civilization that applied took a different track, right? Applied their their technology to environmentalism instead of militarism, right? Or, you know, any number of, of different tracks that you could yeah. take technology and to be in a, in a really advanced way in, in some places and be completely backwards in others, right? Um, where am I going with this? The idea of an advanced civilization that's out there like maybe maybe they could have terraformed another planet, and that makes them more, makes you know more of those planets out there habitable than others. Um, you know the Tabby Star, I think. But when she wrote this, it was uh, Tabby Star hadn't even been discovered yet. Um, this is a star. Uh, it's about 14, 14 light years away, if I remember right, and it was. Uh, through the transit method, it was um, I noticed it doing some weird things, and they again this NASA scientists as the official explanation coming out and saying this could actually be some kind of alien megastructure around the star, like a Dyson sphere. Now they put a lot of resources into it. See if you know they. Said he pointed all their telescopes at it and saw, like, what, what are we going to find? What are we going to find? Probably nothing because if they're able to build a Dyson sphere, they're probably not going to be using radios. <laughs> <laughs> but all due respect to SETI, they're actually out there looking for aliens, which is more than a lot of, um, which is more than a lot of other scientists are doing. Right. Right. Um, and they're looking for they're looking for things in a very very specific kind of way, which I guess we could dive into at another time as well. Um, but ultimately, I think what's exciting about Tabby Star for me and the idea of um, all of that is uh, that I mean this is yeah these are NASA scientists saying like this could be. Something like on Star Trek. (laughs) And like everybody really wants it to be that. Um, But good scientists hold out, right? Because like no matter how good the data is, we can always say the best they can do is maybe. Yeah. Right? And right now it's still very firmly in the gray basket. But yeah, and and that's still still very cool. Yeah. You know? Like uh, that's still really affirming Mm -hmm. and interesting. Yeah. and mystical, you know, science science can have that, like, mysticism. That's really intriguing. It's a magical mystery, <laughs> too. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's just fascinating. And it's, and it's also interesting to kind of think about, so, like, let's say it is. Mm-hmm. By the time we even could get to them, 
Mm-hmm. They could be extinct. Right. Their solar system could be uninhabitable. That's the thing. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting is like, here's all these civilizations that are potentially out there in infinite ways mm-hmm. that we'll never even be able to interact with. Yeah. Simply because of how far away. Oh, that's the thing. It, they're fourteen. It's fourteen thousand light years away. Tabby yeah. Star is fourteen thousand light years away. That means the light, what we're seeing, of this had. potential Dyson sphere, is fourteen thousand years old. Galaxy far right. away. Right. <laughs> a long so time ago. whatever happened, it's fourteen thousand years old already. Yeah. If that is, uh, and what basically for those of you who don't understand what a Dyson sphere is, it's basically a a big mechanical structure that's put around a star at about the orbit of where a planet would be. And you have all the planet city kind of stuff on the inside. So basically you're collecting the energy of the star on this big mega superstructure. That's Hmm. like putting your star in a big, like a basket. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're putting a star in a basket. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, No, that's really fascinating. Well, and, and thinking of that information too, of like that's like a UFO, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an unidentified object. It's an unidentified mm, space Megalith? space object. How will we call space that? Space because they they fly. Space object. Unidentified body. Hmm. Unidentified. Somebody come up with a really extraterrestrial cool body. Yeah, we need an acronym and for that. Yes, great. We have a hashtag, Science Crypto. Science Crypto, okay. Now, on that point, we are running out of time. We've burned up all this time (laughs) talking about aliens. Who would have known? But, so, the one thing I did want to point on is that Dion did a good job of um, expressing this idea of distance and time and and all of that. And uh, so she writes, uh, Alpha Centauri is the closest star to our sun at a distance of 4.2 light years away. At our current technology, at the speed which we are able to reach the moon, it would take over a thousand years to get there. Einstein's theory of relativity also gives us universal speed limit, which cannot, which means we cannot exceed the speed of light, which is 186,000 light years, uh, 186,000 miles a second. Even if we could near this speed, it would take over four years to get to this star. One alternative notion of space travel, however, utilizes the theoretical binding of the fabric of space itself, rather than the conventional belief that the shortest distance between two points has to be a straight line. This type of theory allows us to bend that line as if folding a string to bring two endpoints together. Yes, a tesseract. The equations of general relativity allow for the theoretical possibility to bend the fabric of space and take a shortcut, otherwise known as a wormhole. Although certainly not conventional, the theory is still a mathematical possibility. There have been many scientists throughout history that have publicly claimed their opinions regarding the impossibility of technologies that we now know today are possible. Who knows what might be capable in 100, 500, or even 1,000 years. Well, that's what I find so fascinating about acoustics. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Go on. Sorry. Like, <laughs> well, and I know the DM drive's kind of been proven to just like be kind of not really a thing. Um, but I still find it fascinating. Um, and that potential of like using sound as a mechanism for travel. Because mm-hmm. like sound at a... And sorry for the scientists out there if I'm like completely off base. 
Um, Because sound, and it's like how I understand it, is sort of like the measurement of space through time, in a way. Because like when you when you have a musical and you're like singing music, it's like this ethereal thing, and then we mark it through like linear space. So we okay. kind of organize it and structure mm-hmm. it. Oh, sound is it's a, a wave, wave of vibration, a vibration through a fluid. Through a fluid, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> See, I, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a physicist. You're not a real scientist. Not a real scientist. You're just a social scientist. <laughs> <laughs> defend, defend your thesis, Janae. Damn it! Um, defend. Defend. Uh, and so what I think. Have at me and your thesis. <laughs> and so what I think would be really, but it's still interesting. Like if we think about like water as a vehicle for mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. Um, and, and using like those, I mean, you would still need like an energy source. What I'm saying is like using those sound waves or that wave. Mm-hmm. As a wave of okay. Rad, rad, bro. <laughs> Hang ten, rad yeah, sound like wave. I've done too many streams in my life. <laughs> but, um, but it's still, like, I don't know, in, in terms of my myth-making... <laughs> what are too many shrooms? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How many shrooms are too many? When you're vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess what, in terms of, like, approaching this from a socialist, like, mythology psychological kind of perspective that I have a tendency to do is that from like a creative perspective of how I interact with sound or like how sound environments have like a really big impact on their bodies and our mm. biology, you know, like, um, you know, sound can make us ill, you know, it could make us, um, euphoric. It like, it has like a biological response to us. It does. And who's to say that's, that it cannot be used in other forms right. in terms of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, because you and I have talked about like how the, the how Saturn's rings sing, mm-hmm. just even just using that that as a mechanism for pinpointing a trajectory mm-hmm. is There's interesting. Something kind of like it was a navigation, right? Yeah, it's pulsars, right? Mm-hmm. Pul- that's that's a good example of like weird stuff that the universe does in sounds that it makes that could be useful. Because like know? space they're like is a, a beacon, fluid. they're light, yeah. Yes, there's a lot more to space than we used to think it was, right? It's not just a vacuum. It's not just a void. There's even theories that time itself is a fluid and that it could be possible to approach the idea of faster-than-light travel from a fluid dynamics problem through space-time rather than just throwing the egg through the... (laughs) Well, that's why, like, that's why, like, I I, I think... Figuring out a way to travel via our currents in the ocean mm-hmm. would be intriguing. Like, I have, like, this cool science fiction idea. Yeah. Kind of having, like, this egg spaceship. Like, there's a Gulf Stream. Gulf Stream kind of thing. And an then interstellar happens, Gulf Stream of sorts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It uses, you know, the ocean. Right. And if a, a random scientist does see this, like, tell him, like, I did talk to a physicist and he did say that it, it sounded intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so I'll say that. Um, interesting. interesting, but I don't know the math yet that, that well on it. Exactly. So, but it would be really interesting then if you had like a structure. It would, it would be only a one-way travel system mm-hmm. because then the structure would have to break away, right? In order to kind of. Now that said, though, there is a there is a physicist uh, named Alcubierre, who is a Mexican physicist who worked out the math necessary for faster-than-light travel. The problem is we don't have the materials for it. 
if you go online, check out the Alkiberry drive, okay. and uh, there's it, it looks like an egg with a disc around the outside of it. And basically what it does, it's kind of like a pinch field. So like, it, I, I thought of this, it's already been thought of. Kind of. No, 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 no. They're, like tapping into that whole thing, collective well, unconscious. Yeah. Drop your drop your jung on us, <laughs> <laughs> and ride that wave to the end. All right, and on that note, we are out of time. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we hope we didn't stray too far off topic. <laughs> um, if you want to get a little deeper into the actual, you know, read Dion's report. Go on to cryptosciencesociety.com and look for the journal tab all the way at the bottom, which is the last one down there on the bottom. And if you are interested in following us, check out all the usual suspects at Instagram. We are Science Crypto on Instagram. Uh, Crypto Science Society, all one word, Crypto Science Society on Facebook. And we've got a YouTube channel. And uh, what else do we have? We got a lot of the basics covered. So. Oh, yeah. Shout out to our awesome graphic design team, Eddie Nori. He is a one-man team. Yes, I called <laughs> him a team. amazing content. Uh, he's responsible for that cool crow logo image you see on the top. And, uh, of course, Dion Ernst for doing the, the bulk of the research for this episode. And, of course... All of the members of the Crypto Science Society, past, present, and future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this dimension and beyond. Till then, next time. Till next time. Thanks for listening.